You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 92, by Rudolf Steiner, uh, entitled The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends, uh, the Listener's Notes of 16 Lectures, translated by Paul King. This is Lecture 15, given Cologne on the 3rd of December, 1905, entitled Parsifal and Lohengrin. We want to look today at the world of medieval legends from the perspective of the theosophical worldview. There are two important legends that are characteristic of the intellectual and spiritual development of Europe in the Middle Ages, the two legends connected with the Grail. Concerning the deepest truths, the sages of earlier times spoke to the people through myths and legends. If in those times one had tried to teach the people, living in the regions of northern and central Europe, the sort of concepts we hear today in the theosophical worldview the people of that period would have got nothing from it. The sages spoke to every nation and era in a way that nation and era could understand. In doing so, they always took into account the law of rebirth or reincarnation. The sages who told the peoples of northern and central Europe the secrets of the world were druids. Druid means oak. When it is said that the Teutons worshipped under oak trees, this did not only mean that they worshipped under actual oaks, but also that they were led by druids. And when it is said that Bonifaci cut down the oak tree, this signifies that the old druid religion was conquered by Christendom. A real truth is related here in legend form. The druids wove real truths into their legends. All the souls who take up our worldview today were once addressed by a Druid priest. He spoke to them in a way that was suited to those times. All of us who absorb the theosophical worldview have heard the same things before in myths and legends. Otherwise, we should not understand them at all. This is the secret of the great masters. They live in the consciousness that they are among people who incarnate again and again. Throughout the Middle Ages, the fundamental truths of Germanic Central European culture lived in a great legend. When we get acquainted with this legend, we understand the nature of the Middle Ages. The Druid priests cultivated an awareness that far in the West there had once been an advanced civilization. The civilization had been in a land called Niflheim or Nebelungenheim. This Niflheim was ancient Atlantis. It had once been a Nebelheim, a place of mists, German navel equals mist, because of its peculiar atmospheric conditions, which were completely different from our own. This primordial Germanic legend is thus really relating the truth. It points to an ancient primal land that once existed between Europe and America, where the Atlantic Ocean now is. This very ancient land of Atlantis sank, and with it went treasures of power and wisdom. These treasures are referred to as gold, and their demise is related in the legend 
as the sinking of the Nibelung's hoard of gold. The Nibelung treasure has to be raised up in a new way, awoken, and further toward the east in Europe. First Wotan and then Siegfried were the initiates, whose task it was to bring back to present-day Europe the ancient treasure, to make fruitful once more in a certain way the Nibelung hoard for the newer civilization. The fact that the legend presents us with an initiate, Wotan, helps us to look deeply into another very ancient civilization. The letters W and B correspond to each other. Wotan, Woden, is the same as Boda, Buddha. Wotan is indeed the Germanic form of the word Buddha. This brings us to a common origin of the European Wotan religion and the Asiatic Buddha religion. The Buddha religion did not spread so much in India as among the peoples of Asia who still had something of the Atlantean culture in them. The Wotan peoples had also brought their way of seeing things from Atlantean culture. Their further development was expressed in the legends told to them by their Druid priests. The rescuing of the Nibelung treasure, Atlantean culture, is expressed particularly beautifully in Wotan and Siegfried. In these legends, which can be found from Russia to France and England via Germany, there is a tragic prophetic quality which can be seen everywhere where Druids taught. This prophecy said, A twilight of the gods will come. We are what remains of the Atlantean civilization. We have to die out, so that something better can enter. Our initiates are prophets of what is coming. In all those who are initiated in the same way as Siegfried, a definite quality of tragedy comes to expression. The Song of the Nibelungs contains a very ancient form of initiation. The Nibelungs distress, the Nibelungs lament. The very advanced pupils were taught that another would come who would bring spiritual life. The mood of the twilight of the gods spread everywhere. All lived with the sense, and the advanced pupils with the certainty, that another would come who would be completely different from their initiates. This was expressed in the legend of Siegfried. In Scandinavia and Russia, they had the Drota mysteries which corresponded to the Druid mysteries. Drota is another term for Druid. Everywhere in the old mysteries, the name of the original great initiate is Sig. All names that contain Sig can be traced back to Sig, like Sigurd, Sigmund, Sieglinda, and so on. For example, Siegfried was the initiate who had found peace in initiation. Friede, German peace, means that which leads people beyond all doubt. It is the satisfaction of a longing, the longing for knowledge, for power. In all the portrayals of him, Siegfried is depicted as being invulnerable. The Greek initiate, Achilles, was vulnerable on one spot, on his heel. After slaying the dragon, Siegfried becomes invulnerable, except for a spot between his shoulder blades. That is where the cross is to be born. The symbol played a profound role in the ancient mysteries. They said there, You are all vulnerable on the place where one will have to carry the cross. The one who covers over this place with the cross, the cross-bearer, will be the great initiate who is no longer vulnerable. This gives the Nordic legend its great quality. 
This wisdom was an apocalyptic wisdom. All occultists know that this wisdom spreads out from a central oracle site of twelve initiates, from the so-called White Lodge. Wisdom is carried out from there into the world. And never is the situation other than that each individual is aware of his connection with the others. Everywhere there were twelve members of the Lodge. So too were the Apostles. The consciousness of those who only had intimations and the wisdom of those who really knew led back to the round table of King Arthur. This is no less than the Great White Lodge, which in the Siegfried initiation related to the people what it had to say to the world. Great initiates were members of the round table, which existed up to the time of Queen Elizabeth I of England. Then it was closed down for political reasons. Two very distinct political currents led the consciousness of ordinary people in the Middle Ages back to primal times. Among the Franks who were fortunate enough to conquer the west of Europe, there was a ruling dynasty which actually traced its origin back to the time of Atlantis. They were called the Vibelungs or Nibelungs, from which the word Ghibelline later arose. There was an old awareness of a ruling dynasty arising in the Franks that had its roots in the ancient Nibelung land, and which combined in itself both worldly might and priestly power. This is why Charlemagne sought to be crowned in Rome, in order to add a spiritual element to the worldly one. Originally the assumption of power was derived from what had been brought over from Atlantis, because it was thought and sensed that a twilight of the gods was coming, a certain tragic quality was connected with the ruling dynasty. It was said, those who want to know can certainly become initiates, but they must be superseded by something else. This mood was initially expressed in the well-known legend of Barbarossa. Something was then added that is not included in the usual legend. Barbarossa was rightly seen as a continuation of the old Frankish rulers. The Hohenstaufen were the Ghibellines, Weiblings, Vibelungs, Nibelungs, in contrast to the Welfs, the Gelfs. The more penetrating tale adds to the well-known Barbarossa legend that Barbarossa brought the Holy Grail from Asia to Europe. As a physical personality, he himself lost his life in the process and now waits for his time to come. In this is expressed the whole mood of the Middle Ages, with regard to the old heathendom and the new Christendom. People began to consider their own folk soul, and said, We brought our culture from old Atlantis, but it is destined to perish. Christianity must take its place. But it will rise again purified, cleansed, raised up by Christianity. People began to make a transition from the end of the decline to the beginning of the ascent. People began to regard the course of a deeper Germanic spiritual life as one whereby the clairvoyant Atlantean consciousness was superseded by something still to come. One had once more to master natural boldness, piety, virtue, but in a new way. People had three notions, an idea of three definite forces, Wotan, Odin, Vili, and Ve. Wotan is intuitive power as depicted by the initiate. Vili is the will itself. Ve 
is the heart, gimit, with a tragic quality, where it becomes apocalyptic. Now a new time was to come. Now, through Christian teaching, a transition was to be made, and one was to ascend again to what had been before the twilight of the gods. That Barbarossa is waiting in a mountain indicates that he is an initiate. A mountain, in quotes, is the place of initiation. Christ went with his disciples, in quotes, up into a mountain, into mysterium. Ravens signify an initiation for Barbarossa. In the Persian initiation ritual, a distinction was made between seven levels of initiation. Raven means the first level of personal initiation. Ravens indicate the connection that still exists between the initiate and his surroundings. We can think of Elijah's ravens. We also find ravens in relation to Wotan. They transmit his communications to the surrounding world. Thus the initiate Barbarossa also had ravens around him, which maintained his connection with the world. Barbarossa had brought the Holy Grail from the Orient. This Holy Grail was preserved on Mons Salvationis, the mountain of salvation. It is now surrounded by the successors of King Arthur's round table, the twelve knights who received Christian initiation, in addition to the old pagan initiation. The grail is the symbol of Christian initiation. One who wished to be initiated into the secrets of the Holy Grail became a Christian initiate. One became a Christian initiate by passing first through all forms of doubt, and then finding a firm footing in a connection with Christ himself. One thing is necessary for this, direct trust in the figure of Christ. The first disciples laid such particular emphasis on the fact that Christ had been among them. They said, we want to bear witness that we were with him. We touched his wounds with our hands. What we make known is what we have seen and heard ourselves. Paul became an apostle because he truly saw the risen one in spirit. What matters is the unmediated experience, attained not through wisdom and logic, but directly. It is clear to us what Parsifal needs to achieve on his wanderings. Parsifal's mother is called Herzleide, German Herz, heart, Leiden, suffering. Wolfram von Eschenbach was an initiate. If we read his Parsifal with profound attention, between the lines and words, we find that the name Herzleide, Parsifal's mother, is precipitated from the tragic quality that lay in the German heart. One who does not take the Parsifal path bears suffering in their heart. They have to struggle through to peace. Wolfram von Eschenbach knew how to clothe the legend in a wonderfully beautiful form. With this one fact, that is, the name Herzleide, he intended a deeply inward symbol bearing in mind that a feminine individual always signifies consciousness, namely that Herzleide is the condition of consciousness with which Parsifal sets out. Initially he has a tragic consciousness. He struggles his way with a naive, simple consciousness through everything that worldly knighthood can offer in order to come to the secret of the Holy Grail. We must hold this in conjunction with the Barbarossa legend. Barbarossa went to Asia, to seek the secrets of the Holy Grail, Christian initiation. But he lost his life on the way to the Holy Grail. He has to wait in the mountain, 
until Christianity can connect with the former initiation. Barbarossa brought Christianity, but did not achieve the deeper initiation of Christianity. Parsifal is the new Christian initiate, the great symbol that succeeds the Siegfried initiation. Siegfried conquered his lower nature, the dragon, the snake. Parsifal becomes the initiate of the Holy Grail, who comes to know him who is invulnerable, where Siegfried was still vulnerable. The original idea of Christianity is brought to expression in Parsifal. He no longer knows the idea of reincarnation. A single life between birth and death was seen as the only one. It was the one incarnation that had value. People no longer looked up to manas, buddhi, atma. Parsifal initiation was directed only toward reaching a consciousness of our connection with Christ, to considering only our incarnation, in which the human being reaches knowledge through compassion, and not compassion through knowledge, as happens in theosophy. Theosophy teaches us to recognize how we are connected with all human beings. Through it we realize that we are ourselves responsible for what our brother does. Theosophy leads to compassion through knowledge. But humanity had for a time to pass through a period of development where it was to find knowledge through compassion. It had to go down into the depths of compassion because one can also reach knowledge there. It had to be like this so that people learned to know the full importance of this earthly world. Christianity was to educate humanity so that the significance of the earthly would be understood. For this reason, humanity had first, in a moral respect, to be conducted, led down to physical life. Only then could it come to the great achievements that begin in urban culture. The progress of the Middle Ages is portrayed in legend in the transition from the Parsifal saga to the Lohengrin saga. This Lohengrin saga emerges in the period when towns were being founded all over Europe, which served primarily the awakening middle classes and are based no longer on the spiritual life but on material life. All material achievements were promoted in the towns, like the art of printing, for example, among other things. Without an urban culture, modern science would not have been able to develop in the way it has. The universities, too, are a consequence of this culture. Without it, a Copernicus, a Kepler, a Newton, and so on, would not have been possible. Even Dante's title Divine Comedy and the painters of the Renaissance lead us back to urban culture. The legend of the connection between Parsifal, the father, and Lohengrin, the son, points to the significance of urban culture. Elsa von Brabant represents the town's urban consciousness. In all mysticism, that which counteracts the physical world is portrayed as something feminine. Goethe speaks of the eternal feminine. In Egypt this aspect was worshipped as Isis. Let's keep in mind the cella's stages of initiation. To begin with, the cella has to overcome three stages. The first stage is that of the homeless one, where the person is torn away from the physical world, where he becomes objective toward the physical world. He has to unlearn partiality. He must learn to love everything equally. He does not love less, but extends his love to everything that deserves love, not only to his homeland, and so on.
The second stage is where the Chala builds huts. He finds a new home. The disciples on the mountain have reached this stage. They are beyond space and time. They see Elias and Moses. This is why they say, Let us build tabernacles, huts. The third stage is that of the swan. A swan is a chela who has progressed so far that all things speak to him, including those that have their consciousness on higher planes. The animal's consciousness is on the astral plane, the plants on the mental plane, rupa plane, the minerals on the higher mental plane, arupa plane. One must lift oneself up to higher worlds in order to find the I capital, the name of other beings. At that level they utter their own names to the chela. The world then sounds and rings out everywhere for him. With regard to this fact, Goethe says, literal translation, quote, The sun sounds out in ancient wise, in contest of song and spheres of brotherhood, and completes its preordained journey with rolls of thunder. Close quote. He repeats this indication from the prologue in heaven at the point where Faust is taken up into higher worlds, literal translation, quote, The new day is born, sounding forth for spirit ears. Rocky arches creak and rattle. Phoebus's wheels roll and clatter. What a din comes with the light. There's drumming and trumpeting. The eye blinks. The ear is amazed. Nothing outrageous is heard. It is not a matter of indifference that both the prologue in heaven in the first part of title Faust, and the second part begin in this way. Goethe is pointing here to something very specific. It is the third stage of chalaship, where the world around us starts to sound and all things tell us their names. Jesus had reached this stage when he was to incorporate the Christ. In the White Lodge, this stage is called the Swan. Swans were those who were no longer permitted to say their own name, but to whom? The whole world revealed its names. Lohengrin, the son of Parsifal, is the initiate who founded urban culture, who was sent out by the great Grail Lodge to fructify the consciousness of medieval humanity. Elsa von Brabant is a depiction of aspiring human consciousness, which is fructified by the surrounding world, by the masculine principle. The urban consciousness represented by Elsa is to be fructified by Lohengrin, by the Holy Grail. The connection between Lohengrin and Elsa von Brabant is the connection of material culture with the spiritual task of the fifth sub-race. The swan is the initiate of the third grade who introduces the master from the great lodge. Human beings must allow the master to work on them without asking about his nature. Elsa von Brabant must regard what he gives her as being appropriate for her. The moment she starts asking about it out of curiosity, the initiate vanishes. This is all in the Lohengrin story. The initiation wisdom of the Holy Grail had been brought over by the Knights Templar from the Orient to the Mountain of Salvation, Mons Salvationis, Christendom's sacred site of initiation an initiation ceremony pointed directly to the future of the whole human race. It was said that a time will come when Christianity will experience a new phase. From time immemorial, the onward course of human spiritual culture 
has been consciously determined by the progression of the sun. For about 2200 years, before 800 B.C., the sun passed through the constellation of Taurus. During that period, the divine was worshipped in Asia as the bull. Even before that, for the same reason, Gemini was worshipped in Persia. Good and evil, duality. Around 800 B.C., the sun entered the sign of Aries, or the Lamb. This is indicated by the legend of Jason and the Golden Fleece. Christ calls himself the Lamb of God because he appeared during this sign. Today the sun is in the sign of Pisces. The Templars pointed to the next constellation. The sun will then enter the constellation of Aquarius. Only then will Christianity really unfold. Paganism will be connected with Christianity. This culture will awaken a new John. This moment will come when the sun is in the sign of Aquarius. John signifies Aquarius. He will be the proclaimer of a new age of Christianity. It is said that the Templar Knights were referring to John the Baptist, not to Christ. But the John they are speaking about is the water carrier, Aquarius. The last phase of Christianity that stems from the initiate Lohengrin brought about the period of utilitarianism, which has now reached its zenith. The Theosophical Movement aspires to be the successor of such movements as the Parsifal Movement and the one that spread out from the initiate Lohengrin. Even modern materialism has its origin in great initiates, but it must be superseded by a new phase, a new cycle. Theosophy aspires to bring this about, but it is always the initiates who are speaking when a new impulse is to be given to civilization. The end of Lecture 15